0: The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near West of Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. All right, well... Uh... We're going to be looking at John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14 today. And uh, I, th- I don't know if I mentioned it, maybe I did. Rosemary said, hey, how long are you going to be in John? I said, I really don't know. And they said, well, we're in chapter 3 already. And I said, well, we're on verse 3 already of chapter 1. And uh, it's, uh, this is the first time that I've spent this much time in the Gospel of John. I've looked at it in uh, larger pieces. But again, I'm just captivated by what the Holy Spirit wanted the church to know, wanted the world to know concerning Him, concerning His plans, concerning His purposes through His Son, Jesus. And I've mentioned it a bunch of times again, John some 45 50 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ is standing over here in time looking back and the holy spirit is nudging him the holy spirit is inspiring him he's seen the the life of Christ the death burial and resurrection of Christ the growth of the church the struggles of the church the false teaching that's gone in and it's almost for me it's almost like god is using this letter, this gospel to say, this is what you need to pay attention to. And I made comment when we first started that, uh, you know, in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Bam, there you go. That's what you need to know. Let's not argue about it. Start there. And in 1 John, it is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's what you need to know. Start there. And so, I mentioned also that in the first five verses, it's as though that John has given us heaven's testimony of Jesus, where he mentions that in the beginning was, uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, He created all things, and Him was light and life. And I say this, that this is the beginning of heaven's testimony because we learn that in John, John's, the bulk of the gospel of John is around the seven signs of Jesus. Heaven's testimony of Jesus, these seven signs around the, and it's built around these seven I am's. I am the word of life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the resurrection and the life. And it's built around this testimony, heaven's testimony, of who Jesus is. And then in verse 6 of chapter 1 that we started, now begins to unveil this earth's testimony of who Jesus is. And, and it begins with John. And we talked about when, you know, the big gap that was there from the last things that was spoken by the prophet Malachi about the promise of one that was coming, and then here he comes, and he comes to Zechariah, the priest whose name means God remembers, and he just pulls back 400 years, steps back and grabs that promise and pulls it into the New Testament times, this new covenant period. Hey, here's what you need to know. I haven't forgotten anything. This is what you need to know. Here's the testimony of what you need to know concerning... Jesus, and so John was that witness that gave testimony uh, to who Jesus was, al- along with of course John's writing and others. but so John chapter one verse 14 says this in the beginning, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth Father. Each one of us here today need to see something, and I don't know what it is exactly, but um, all the worship today was very focused on the relationship that we have between with you and us, your children. And it was focused on the idea of our need of you, uh, our needing to receive from you. And so this morning that's what I'd like to see happen, just us receiving from you this morning. Okay, so here, in verse 14, uh, it's as though John just kind of pulls back the curtain, and he says, "You know what? You know, hear something you need to know. The word? The word was Jesus. The light, it was Jesus. The life was Jesus, is Jesus." And he says, "The word became flesh." And again, this—the God that was, the God was with God, the God that created all things—took on human form. I mean, this is the Christmas story right here: Jesus coming to Earth. This is what we celebrate. So, the, but the phrase "dwelt among us" is interesting because the word means to tent or encamp, and so it came to it, it, it is translated. Tabernacled, to dwell, to tabernacle. So in those days, they dwelt in tents, they had their encampment. And now, John is telling us that God sent his son who came to dwell with us. And so, this would have, this phrase would have captured the minds of the Jewish listener. Because this idea of tabernacle, this, the tabernacle was this symbolism. It symbolized the very presence of God, the dwelling place of God in the midst of His people. And in Jesus, this was God dwelling in the midst of His people in human form. Now, we know that the tabernacle originally, when it was built, was simply a tent. It was to be a temporary dwelling place. And this temporary dwelling place became known as the Tent of Meeting. And so, this tabernacle was the place where God dwelt among His people. And it was a place where He provided reconciliation with His people. And so, when we read through the accounting, we know that when God went through the wilderness with His people his presence was symbolized by this pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and and it provided a way for his people also through this the tabernacle and god instituting the tabernacle and its sacrifices It provided a way for His people to stay in this relationship, this right relationship with Him, through sacrifice and offerings. And the greatest of those offerings was the Day of Atonement where the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, which we understand now is a whole type of what Jesus did. We read in Hebrews how he, the veil was rent in half and he went through into the Holy of Holies and gave his life as a sacrifice for us, to make a way for us, not just covering our sin, but removing our sin from us. And so the tabernacle, think about this, the tabernacle moved with God's people through the wilderness. Uh, God joined His people. God was with His people through this journey through the wilderness. Now, there are all kinds of images and pictures here because the reality is that we are very symbolically the same way that Israel went through the wilderness from the time that God rescued him to the place where he fulfilled his promise. We're in the same place. God called us. God rescued us. God delivered us. We're in this this in-between time between when God rescues us and God fully delivers his promise to us. And through Jesus, he's with us. He's with us to guide. He's with us to protect. He's with us in all these ways. He's with us to um, make a way for us with relationship with the Father. So I always say that uh, when you look through the Old Testament, there's so many things about it. uh, Just this big object lesson. The whole wandering through the wilderness, this big object lesson. This whole idea of the tabernacle. And uh, I don't know. Some years back, we briefly looked at the tabernacle, but the, the intricacies about it—the very specific things concerning the tabernacle and what what everything stood for and what everything met—every little thing had a purpose, and every little thing in it was a reflection. Of God, His plans, His purpose, was a reflection of what He wanted to do, His heart, and what He would do through Jesus, His Son. And so, if if you ever have a desire, and you say, you know, I'd like to study something I've never studied before, just study that. And just see how God did what God did, and the meaning behind all of it. It's so significant. So, John now, he is declaring to the Jewish people, he's going, look, you need to understand that Jesus is that place. Jesus is that meeting place between a holy God and a sinful man. Jesus came to dwell among not just the Jews, but humanity. And his coming To dwell among humanity was to make a way for humanity, to bring reconciliation between God and man, just like when they went through the wilderness. There were offerings. When they sinned, they would take and give sin offerings. But once a year, there would be this sin for the nation to cover the sin. For us, for us as we're living life, there is a sacrifice that was paid that we embraced But as we continue to live, there are those times, there are those moments where we are not where we need to be, where Jesus has made a way not only once, but for us to ask for forgiveness so that we don't have anything that is standing between us and God, so that we can have this right relationship. So there's not all this stuff that we keep tripping over. The graciousness of who God is. And so, uh, let's see. Now, <clears throat> when John said that the Logos, the Word became flesh and dwell among us, he says that we saw His glory. And again, drawing this image that Jesus truly was this fulfillment, but this fulfillment that Israel had long awaited for. Because in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, And behold, a uh, uh, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth uh, to a son, and you will call His name Emmanuel. Now in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, where this is fulfilled, it's when... Uh, the angel visits Mary, and she said, you'll conceive a son. And then Mary lets Joseph know she's pregnant, and he's going, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, how, how did all this happen? And the angel goes to Joseph, and he reiterates this out of Isaiah. And he adds a little bit more, giving clarity. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. And so, the God of the Old Testament who was this visible presence in the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, the one who dwelt among His people in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies was now to take His place among His people in the person of Jesus Christ. That's huge. Now, It's interesting. So the invisible God, because here no man has seen God. You have these images. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, the Shekinah glory, but no visible manifestation. This invisible God Himself manifests Himself in the world through His Son. Now, 33 and a half years, here's Jesus dwelling among his people. Now, I get to thinking about that because, it, you know, a lot of times we just think uh, God is speaking to the Jew. But this word that John uses, the word became, the logos became flesh, would have grabbed a hold of the minds of the Greeks as well. Because he's speaking not just to the Jews. He's speaking, he's in Ephesus. He's speaking to the Greeks and he's speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to the church. And Logos was significant. It would have really uh, been a bold statement for a Greek person to hear. And possibly connected with a Jew who was very familiar. But Greek philosophers believe this. And they taught this. That Logos... Logos was the greatest power in the universe. It's what the Greeks believed, and that's what the Greeks taught. So now think about this. You're a Greek. You hear John's uh, letter read. And John is saying, hey, just so you know, the greatest power in the universe is in Jesus. The person Jesus Christ this human manifestation of God right there and so I love it because he goes on he just doesn't say look this is what it is but he qualifies a little bit and he says you know what and we have seen his glory we've seen his glory the of the only begotten son full of grace and truth and so when he says we beheld his glory it's we saw this physical manifestation of the glory of God of the power of the majesty of God and I like this because it says we beheld and that word means we just didn't see but we learned by looking So think with me just for a minute if you if we can look at that he says we beheld his glory. So, yeah, okay, so they were there physically with Jesus. And they were with Jesus. And they walked with Jesus. And they saw the things that Jesus did because of their proximity to him. And they said, We, we learn by looking. We learn by looking who he was. We we learn by looking. We we got to see the glory of God because we were able to gaze upon it. We were in near proximity of it. And you think, wow, boy, they had, what a win for them. But it's no different for us. See, we also learn by looking. See, when we draw near to Jesus, when we begin to seek Him, we learn by looking, we see the glory of God. I mean, every one of us in here, I can, we could go around the room one by one and we could say, okay, before you knew Jesus and you begin to seek Him, and all of a sudden He manifests Himself to you, and you saw Him. You saw Him for who He was. What happened in your life? You repented. You drew close. You trusted. Now think about all the situations since you've been a believer. As you have been seeking, as you have been looking toward Him, you've been able to see how He how He shifts your heart, how He removes fear, how He gives encouragement into our heart, how He brings healing to our life, how He provides, just the list goes on and on and on. As we behold Him, as we look toward Him, we really have this benefit of seeing Him more fully for who He is. When I first came to Christ, I had a real twisted view about what all that looked like because I didn't know anything about it. But as I continued to look, as I continue to draw close, and as I still continue to draw close, I get to see who He is, His splendor, His majesty, His power. I get to see. Now, another interesting thing about this word glory, it has this idea of reputation. So the glory of God, the majesty, the splendor, the power, but really who God is. The reputation of who God is. And I get to thinking about character. I'm thinking about His good name. I'm thinking about His fairness and holiness and righteousness and truthfulness and trustworthiness. We get to see those things. And John is saying, we got to see those things. And it reminds me of that time when Moses, it's in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, and the the children of Israel are going to cross to the promised land. And Moses says, Lord, you know, we're not going to go without you. uh, So we're just going to hang out. If you don't go with us, if you don't go with us, go before us. We're not going to go. And somewhere in that conversation, Moses just goes, Lord, show me your glory. And so you read a little bit, and God says, all right, I'll tell you what, show up tomorrow. And uh, so he shows up tomorrow. He goes up to mount. says that God uh, put his... He says, you can't see my face. And so he puts him in this indent, this cleft in the rock, and says that God put his hand over Moses, and he passed by him. And it says this. It says... Um, says, I, the Lord, the Lord God, I am merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiven iniquity and transgression in sin. So Moses is saying, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your honor, your splendor, your reputation. Help me see. You, help me see that. Help me see who you really are. And so when God, the, the, word in, um, the word in Hebrew is the word kabod. And the word translated means to be weighty or impressive. So a weighty person would be a person that was uh, of high standing. Uh, a weighty person would be someone who is honorable, impressive, someone who is worthy of respect. And so Moses is going, I just really, I need to see you for who you are and why you are who you are. I I need to see that. And for me, I would have went, you know, I'm just going, hello, look what I created. God doesn't do that. You really want to know who I truly am? You want to really know my reputation? Well, this is that. I'm merciful. And I am gracious. I am long-suffering and kind. And I am forgiving to a thousand generations. That's who I am. And you know, for me, the thing that really hits my life, the thing that just makes me stand in awe of God, yeah, I I, like you, you know, there's times I'm out and I see nature and I'm just in awe of it. But the thing that connects to me most is His love and His kindness and His forgiveness to me. That is what is impressive, that a holy God creator of all things. And I think sometimes we, you know, it's just like we've, we've been around it too long. I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day about some stuff. And I I just said, Hey, John, I can tell you right now, my life is within three foot of the cross. I, I got my hand on it all the time because I never forget. And I never want to forget who I was and who I am because of what God has done for me. That's the impressiveness of God for me in my life. And God is trying to tell Moses, Moses, here's my glory. My glory is in loving what I have created, dedicated for the good of what I've created despite whatever they have done, this is what you need to know about me. This is why I'm impressive. That's my glory. And I just went, yeah, I agree. I agree, I agree, I agree. So this idea that uh, he says, I want to see, you know, we have seen his glory, the glory of the only, only begotten of the Father. And he uses this then this phrase, full Of grace and truth. So we all have known about, studied about grace and truth. This idea that he was full of means, complete. We got to, there was nothing lacking in Jesus concerning grace and truth this graciousness, this goodwill, this loving kindness and favor. John is just saying, look, we we really got to see it. Think, think about all the times that they are around and watched God do what God did. To those that were undeserving, that didn't merit it, that had thumbed their nose at God. To the Gentile that hadn't lived with God or toward God at any time concerning the Samaritan woman, just start naming them. And he said, we got to see this merciful kindness of God. I've said it a lot of times, this word charis, this idea of graciousness in action, says this, it is the literal, figurative, or spiritual, but especially this grace is the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. And so as as they were had all their questions about Jesus, because they did. You know, they were going, you know, I I don't know, who do you say I am? The struggle that they had to believe Jesus. But yet at the same time, there is this, um, there was something about him. As As they were near him, there was something about him that kept hitting their life. There was this divine influence on their life. It just kept coming at them, coming at them, coming at them. And when it kept coming at them, what did it do? It changed who they were. See, it was a divine influence upon their soul with its reflection in their life. That is what John is trying to communicate here. As we kept coming near, as we kept seeing, we, so many things we did not understand, but as we moved that way, something about who he was kept hitting our life, and as it kept hitting our life, it kept changing us. We got to see it. We beheld his glory. We beheld it, his fullness of this grace and truth to our life. So he says that this grace that just kept coming out of Jesus just wasn't just, it wasn't just that. There were two things that we got to see, two things that changed us, two things that Jesus kept, who he was just kept. Emanating from him. It was that gracious, loving kindness that changed us, and it was truth. And I think sometimes in our culture today, people have no idea what that means. But this truth is the word aletheia. And it's interesting because it's really, uh, it it is spelled A and latheia. And so latheia means to be hidden or concealed. But the A in the Greek language is a negative. So it would mean, meaning not. Which indicates that the following word has the opposite meaning. So the following word after A means to be hidden or concealed. And John said when Jesus came, He was not concealed. When Jesus came, He was not hidden. He revealed who God the Father was. He didn't hold back. But we could see because now it wasn't hidden from us. And we get the slowness that they had to receive. But at some point... They believed, and all of a sudden it was like, whew, there it was, the fullness of who God was. We, we just got to see it. We got to behold who He was, this graciousness toward humanity that was full of truth. This, And I love it because this, the idea of also, and a basic understanding of Aletheia is the unveiled reality of. So you know, Wandering through the desert, they had they questioned a lot about, you know, our, does this mean that? What does that really mean? When Jesus came, there was the same questioning. In our life, there is this same questioning that we can have. But, but what happens is, is that as you look upon Him, as you move toward Him, what happens is there is this, we get to see Him, there's this unveiled reality of who He is. And I can tell you right now, it's not hit any of us full throttle 100% of what it is because we'd probably just kill over. I mean, we're going to get to heaven and we're going to have a new body. Then we're going to be able to grab hold of it all. But here, it's like this, this unveiled reality of who Jesus is. Each one of us, as we have learned and we've studied and we've grown, we, we get to... We get to We become more into a reality. So, you know, the world around us, they don't see God. They don't understand light and dark. But the reality of the situation is that God is light and there is darkness, a darkness will never overcome the light. We get to see the reality of the fact that God did create the heavens and earth in six days, rested on the seventh. We get to see the reality of what God said he would do, God will do. We get to see the reality, even in our own life, that when you come to Christ, how God changes you, breaks the power of sin in your life, and you become a new creature in Christ Jesus, we get to experience that reality. We get to experience the reality when our hearts are broken and our lives are shattered, that all of a sudden because we look to him and we're his children that just peace overcomes our life. All of a sudden, fear begins to dissipate because we get to see the reality of who Jesus is. It comes into our life. It's not hidden from us any longer. It's not behind a door, so to speak. The unseen reality of God in Jesus The trueness of who God is. See, when we just take a little bit of time, when we allow uh, us to mull over truth in our life, when we open up our hearts, when we're quiet before the Lord, this stuff just... Just begins to move on our life. Our world and the, the the powers of darkness just want our lives to be so busy that we don't pause in our life, so that we don't stop, shut the door, and just get on our knees and look up. That's where we get to behold. That's where we get to see. That's where we get to experience. Who He is. Because when we do that, He just begins to move on our heart. He begins to move on our life. He begins to reveal Himself to us. I love that about the relationship that we have with God. See, for me, if this wasn't real, if this wasn't true, if this really wasn't a happening thing, I would have never, never, Never follow Jesus. I mean, look at your own life. If it wasn't true, would you follow? Would you still be coming? Would you still be reading the scriptures if what he said, anything that he said, never happened in your life, never came true in your life, you could never see it in your life? Nah. Nah. So (laughs) the basic, you know, I just so often I just drop back and I go, yeah, those things are true. And as I embrace them, they just open up my life more and more. That's true also. That's true, too. That's also true. That's also true. I see this. I see this and I just, I take more of it in. You know, you know, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. What more can I say? Cleanse your hearts and we get to discover, we get it, we get, we get, we get more. If if you say, well, you know, I I don't know, my life's just coming up short, draw near. That's probably a good place to start. And then we'll see your uh, deficit uh, will just begin to dissipate. And you'll find this more of a fullness of who He is in our life. He'll begin to move on you more. Your life will begin to shift more. I got to thinking, uh, let me just close with these statements. Uh, I got to thinking about this full of grace and truth. And, you know, really, grace is our greatest spiritual need. You know, we have no hope of salvation on our own without. The sacrifice of Christ, that merciful kindness of God toward us, but our greatest practical need is truth. It is God unveiling Himself toward us, and He does it through His Word. That's so. You have one, which is a greatest spiritual need, then our greatest practical need is truth. Grace gives us a strength to live for God because He keeps. Empower, he keeps touching our life. He keeps lifting us. But truth shows us the way we are to live toward Him. Listen, without those two things, our life just is it's up in the air. It's almost like John is saying, there was, there's nothing that we need to think about. There, our life's not up in the air. You who are believers in Jesus... Jesus, who is full of his loving kindness towards you and unveiling himself to you, showing you who he is. We have far more than sometimes we realize. Father, I thank you that um, I think about the enoughness of who you are, the more than enough, the Life in abundance, God, of who you are. And so often we just go, we question it, but you're just going, hey, just begin to behold me. Just begin to humble yourself. Just begin to draw near to me. Let me touch your life and change who you are. Let me change the way you think. Just change the position, change your heart. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. (laughs) It's, <laughs> you've made it so very easy for us. It's not complicated. I mean, even in our stubborn stupidness, we have a pathway toward you that even when our hearts are hard, we can, like the man with his uh, daughter, uh, uh, help me in my unbelief. Just... Sometimes it's just the faintest whisper in the midst of our despair, but you hear us. And you begin to move toward us. So Father, help us be confident of who you are and continue to move toward you so we can see you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.